Welcome back to our book segment of the program. Great to welcome today. We're looking forward to talking to this man. Great comedian, and uh, he is uh, well-known all over Canada, but also in the U.S. as well. And he's got a brand-new book out about his life and observations of uh, being on the road as a comedian, so we'll find out about that. The book is called All Over the Map, Rambles and Ruminations from the Canadian Road. And we're joined today by uh, Ron James uh, from up in uh, Canada somewhere. Ron, good to talk with you. Are you in Toronto today? No, I'm not in Toronto. I'm in the soaking Pacific Northwest. I'm on Vancouver Island, and there's more rain coming. And uh, it's the, this province uh, at the western edge of Canada has been in the crosshairs of climate change and uh, devastating floods the last couple of weeks in this area called the Fraser Valley. Right. And uh, I mean, it's just like California and Oregon and Washington all summer. Uh, they were beset by forest fires, and now. Um, uh, we're all in the same boat. They, they're they using this term, an atmospheric river. <laughs> I haven't heard that one yet. <laughs> and, uh, so what a great time to be touring, huh? That's uh, it. Well, I know we were scheduled uh, to do this about a week ago, and but you were touring in the Maritime provinces, weren't you, about a week or two I ago? Was, I was out in the Maritimes, and the theaters were packed. Uh, I moved out of the clubs 23 years ago and started um, – uh, breaking trail uh, uh, in as we uh, as we say in the soft seaters and uh, right. it led to um, uh, a series uh, for five years on national television and a record-breaking nine one-hour comedy specials but I have to say uh, my Canadian dream was sire chasing the American sitcom dream a long time ago in the early 90s in Los Angeles we went down to do a series with Ronnie Howard's company that we created at the infamous Second City organization sure. that spawned the likes of Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, uh, Marty Short, uh, uh, Mike Myers, who was in the company with me. Uh, and uh, I started writing in America and brought that perspective back to Canada uh, after um, three years in that carnivores arena of nonstop auditioning called Los Angeles. <laughs> And it was instrumental in um, in focusing my uh, my discipline and and my uh, and my dream to become a stand-up comedian because I was an actor for 17 years, and nothing will um, uh, nothing will uh, uh, hone your battle skills quite like. Uh, three years in Los Angeles. It was instrumental. That, that's and, what I hear. Uh, yeah. From, from talking to a lot of people that work out there, it's a little, it's yeah, challenging. It's yeah. But, uh, yeah. so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of that. There's a lot about the, uh, the allure of the American dream living so close to the, where I mean, 83% of can, uh, 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 of the Canadian population lives so close to the American border. We're looking up lady Liberty skirt. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Everybody wants to uh, wants to drink deep of her swollen memories and all the goodness <laughs> that she, that she promises when it comes to showbiz, and uh, and of course uh, there's so many expats. I mean, I think the yeah. Uh, I think the fourth largest population of Canada lives in Florida in the wintertime. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Before we get too far in the book, and I want to talk about it, just a little personal thing. Uh, both my uh, grandparents' uh, sides uh, were born in Newfoundland. My mother was born in Nova Scotia, Halifax. So that's a little oh, connection I wanted to talk to you about. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Is that right? Born in Halifax. Halifax. Wow. Yeah, they were coming. My grandparents were coming down from Newfoundland, and uh, they lived there for a while. And, uh, and from Newfoundland. Where I've, were they from? Uh oh boy, St. John's I believe. St. John's, right? Well, my 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 father's the Newfoundlander. He's from uh, he's from the southwest coast uh, in Bergio, uh, uh, the, uh, that peninsula that was. Uh, okay. And they were all. I mean, they were all basically um, early twentieth century indentured servants. Right. 
right. in the cod industry. Uh, but there's a great connection as well with uh, Maritimers and what we used to call the Boston states. Many Newfoundlanders and Cape Bretoners and people from Nova Scotia, which was always known as the 14th colony prior to the revolution. Right. Uh, but because of the big British uh, military presence there, they didn't have any sympathies. Uh, and uh, it's hard to have sympathies for revolutions when the British jackboots on your face. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they, uh, uh, they moved down to America, and there's a lot of people coming back to Nova Scotia now uh, claiming property and birthrights that were bequeathed to them by, you know, grandparents or great-grandparents. Oh, sure. And my yeah, grandfather yeah. was a, uh, a steam pipe uh, fitter, so that's uh, he made his living doing that in the maritime, and then went down to Boston eventually. Then came to Brooklyn, and that's how we wound up in New York. I, you know, my part of the family, but uh, cool. So but I've always heard stories about uh, Fundy Bay. I believe it was a place called Fundy Bay, and different names. Bay of Fundy. Bay of Fundy that's right. Yep. So, uh, so you were raised in Brooklyn. I, I was born in Brooklyn. I was raised in Long Island. My parents. Oh, my okay. father was Brooklyn, and my mother lived there Rogers eventually. Dodgers. He went to Ebbets Field and all that, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, boy, Brooklyn in its day. I missed all that. <laughs> just missed it. <laughs> I've heard it's rather, I've heard it's, well, it's just gentrified now, right, with all these hipsters. But it, it came back to be kind of a hip place now. Young, you know, the, yeah. Whatever they call yeah. the yuppies now are living there. But uh, Whatever. It's different. But anyway, yeah, that's what made me, uh, when Jeff gave me your, your info, I, I said, oh, I'd love to talk to somebody. And then I read your book and you realized you were from that part of the country oh, of Canada. You. Yeah, it's a magical place. It really yeah. is. And uh, I'm outside of um, this town called Lunenburg on the South Shore. I have a summer place there. Okay. And... Um, in fact, my house is rented out right now to this dude from uh, 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 Nantucket uh, who bought property on the point, and uh, he's uh, an 80-year-old, tough, crusty old fella. He said, I like working in the woods in the wintertime, and That's when you it. come down, we'll do a handshake deal. We'll have a drink of scotch and a toke. <laughs> what do you think of that? Well, I wanted to ask you, and your book talks a lot about your, your great uh, experiences, just, you know, as you said, becoming an actor first, then a comedian. But growing up in Canada, now here in the States, you know, uh, I grew up watching like The Tonight Show and a little bit of Ed Sullivan Show toward the end of his thing and the talk show. So you saw like the great comedians like Don Rickles and Bob Hope. Uh, what did you grow up watching? That's exactly what I grew up watching. I mean, there was uh, really no comedy to speak of in Canada. There was Wayne and Schuster, but by the time I got to be in my teenage years, I mean, they were so passe. Right. And they stayed on the air for 17 years. They were on Sullivan to, a lot, you know, though, weren't they? At Sullivan yeah, Show. Were, but I don't want to disparage them. They were the only show, right? Yeah. And so I grew up watching Glued to Ed Sullivan and uh, never missed the Carson Show. And um, then, of course, the summertime replacement shows in the mid-70s when I was coming of age were electric. I mean, we had uh, we had Richard Pryor. Oh sure, yeah. his show, which was incendiary, uh, and uh, way ahead of its time. I've seen them on YouTube. Some of those old shows. Yeah. I mean, I've got the DVDs now. It's like whoa, wow. Um, Jonathan Winters uh, had a summertime replacement show, which was genius. I watched the Smothers Brothers. I never missed Laugh In. So all the shows that uh, Americans watch. I mean the. Um, the impact of American pop culture on Canadian comedy is well known, right. which is why so many of us uh, went south of the border. And uh, but I went south of the border and brought the American dream home. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, when it comes to comedy, uh, uh, nobody really did it like you guys. Uh, and they came of age. And then, of course, Saturday Night Live uh, was an, an absolutely galvanizing moment in my life. 
And uh, we used to watch Don Kirshner's rock concerts, and then that went off the air, and suddenly there were these, um, you know, seven rebels not ready for prime time, right? And just blew the seams off the door of funny. And uh, this great Sven Galley uh, uh, called Del Close, who taught an awful lot of people at Second City in Chicago, oh, sure. there's a documentary yeah. on it now. But he said Dan Aykroyd changed the face of comedy when he put a live bass and in the bassomatic. Yeah, right, bassomatic. <laughs> bassomatic, and he drank it. I remember that. Well, I thought, oh, man, that's commitment. Uh, so uh, it, it was an incredible uh, impact uh, on us uh, as a boomer. And uh, then we, you know, of course, we read National Lampoon. And so everything that was coming of age in America, we were coming of age with it in Canada, too. And uh, Second City, where I started, uh, was the sister company of Chicago, Second City. Toronto had one, right? Yeah. Where which spawned everybody and anybody who made an impact on comedy in North America over the last fifty years. Yeah, Martin Short, John Candy, Eugene Levy, all those guys, right? Absolutely, they yeah. were several casts before me, but I was in the company with Mike Myers, right? And uh, Donnie Lake, uh, another guy now who's oh, sure. on Facebook with. Right. Uh, with uh work with bonnie hunt a lot right yeah yeah he worked with bonnie yeah. yeah yeah he had a lot of series with her we're good buddies and so uh you know a lot of us still cross-pollinate and and uh we keep in touch and uh of course Schitt's creek uh garnering a record-breaking seven oh, sure. Emmy last year yeah. and uh but i decided to write my book uh from uh a perspective of the trenches on what it's like to um to if you'll pardon a metaphor which may not stick with your listeners in florida but stringing my trap line from one end of the country to the next. And when you uh, have, uh, when you belong to the, a country that has the second greatest national landmass on earth, of which uh, two thirds is moose pasture, uh, you're, um, <laughs> you're going to have some adventures. And uh, I mean, I started stringing my trap line around the lip of frozen Gitche to quote Longfellow and Lake Superior way back in the late nineties. And I mean, I was stuck in blizzards a Yeti wouldn't wander, where logging trucks threatened to bounce me into the afterlife as their ass ends swung into my lane, whether it's in the <laughs> Pacific Northwest or around the tip of Superior. And so that's what my adventures are about. They're about, uh, the, the book is about uh, people and place where I embrace the heartline hum and soul note that I heard singing clear across the big wide open. And I was really influenced in the early years by uh, an NPR host, his name was Studs Turkel. Oh, sure. I don't know if you remember Studs. Out of Chicago. Yes, Out of Chicago. I read yeah. his books diligently uh, when I was a young actor for monologues, American Dreams, Lost and Found, and uh, Working. And, of course, the one that really stuck with me was the, uh, the Last Good War. And he would just go around with a tape recorder and interview people. Right. And he just recorded their lives. It was just real people who flew below the red carpet radar. And in an age where celebrity worship uh, uh, has become so... Uh, uh, so pernicious. I wanted to celebrate real lives. And so I did. Yeah. And, uh, but when you talk about, I mean, you know, I talk about just for laughs as well, the greatest uh, and largest uh, comedy festival in the world. When I have uh, uh, Montreal, right? Fondly, and with Don Rickles, who hosted my first one, there's a great story with Rickles. I was doing this bit. I said, camping's fun in the daytime, but as soon as the sun goes down, everything that eats meat wakes up. <laughs> I, 
I was pretty safe, though. I can't be signed some Germans. God bless them. Their accent will scare anything. Anyway, Rickles is backstage laughing his ass off. And I came back, and I came up and he said, that was a great set, kid. He said, I never got my first break until I was uh, uh, 38 years old. Uh, Kelly's Heroes, how old are you? I said, 41. He looked at me and his face changed from a smile to... <laughs> <laughs> to a face you'd have in front of a widow who's standing in front of a closed casket of her husband and he slapped <laughs> gently in the cheek and said you're finished That's and he right. walked away. but then he signed my poster and said funny is as funny does and you are and that's the kind of soul collateral that you kept on the long journey oh sure uh to let you know that um uh the work that you're doing matters and it does matter and and, and for any aspiring comedians that are out there listening i mean look I've been selling out theaters in Canada for the last 22 years with nine specials, but it always starts with the first step across the threshold and a commitment to following your bliss. That's it. Yeah. Hey, you got a great story. I was going to ask you about Don Rickles. Nobody ever better on the talk shows than Rickles as a guest. You know, he was incredible, wasn't he? Yeah. And he, I mean, I, I, I quote that footage of him uh, on uh, Carson in 77 uh, when Sinatra's on, Jeremy right. Ford's on. Right. Brilliant. He comes out, kneels down, and kisses his ring. <laughs> and he says, uh, Hey, I uh, just wanted to tell you, Frank, uh, uh, Sammy Buttafuco, two bullets in the head. <laughs> That's right, Thursday. <laughs> it's just, it's just remarkable. And Leno's, uh, 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 Leno could never hold a candle to Johnny. Nobody has. It hasn't been the same. Nope, has not been the same. Of, I was a fan of Letterman yeah. over Leno. But uh, no, Rickles owned it. And he never wrote anything down, right? Like Billy Conley. It was always off the cuff. He was just always in character. Yeah. And uh, it's remarkable. And, of course, you know, Rickles honed his craft in the smoke joke clubs of Vegas when wise guys were coming back into the club after dumping a body in the desert. That's right. It's <laughs> <laughs> so wonderful. Yeah. That, that, that type of comedy scene, those guys were forged really in, uh, you know, like, like the iron mill, steel mills coming out of they that were, era they were for that's a great analogy yeah. uh, they were forged in the crucible of another day yeah. uh where um television and and social media and uh the myriad number of platforms we have now to be seen didn't exist no. but you know doug i have to say that i mean you can have as much exposure as you want on on the myriad number of of uh of platforms from tiktok to reddit to youtube but at the end of the day, when you step in front of that microphone and there's a live audience of 2,000 people ready to laugh, you have to deliver oh, sure. just in the same way that all the great comedians had to deliver in the past. There's no amount of notoriety or uh, social media infamy that's going to carry you for your 90-minute set. I do a two-hour set. The other night in Victoria, uh, the capital of British Columbia, I did two and a half hours. And the only reason wow. I got off was because I needed to use the bathroom. That's right. <laughs> I, I always want to ask, I've, and when I've had a chance to talk to comedians, how do you, uh, how do you learn uh, the material? I mean, obviously, you build it up over time, but uh, is it there all the time? Do you have to kind of rehearse it in your head? I mean, you don't make it up as you go along all the time. You do some ad living. But how do you learn an hour and a half or two hours of material? Is it hard? Uh, it's a muscle. It's a muscle. Yeah. Uh, as Carlin said, stage time, stage time, stage time. But mine goes from the page to the stage because I don't play the clubs anymore. And 
I uh, and uh, I've been blessed that if I write it down, I see it. So I've got that kind of photographic memory in that respect. Learn it quickly, so yeah. It's a photographic memory that's that's married to muscle. Right. And then once you're on the stage, if I place myself in certain areas, I'm a very active act. And so if I place myself in a certain position on the stage, I uh, I know that that piece is coming up there. Yeah. And um, I also find that if I write a piece that I can see visually in terms of the action that I've lived it, I've got a piece on being in the air, for instance, in a, a snowstorm for 14 and a half hours. It should have taken a three and a half hour flight. Right. And it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if I have a story that I'm telling with a beginning, middle, and an end, I'm good. That's there. Are you constantly yeah. writing? Little notebook, yeah, little all the time. tape recorder? All the time. Yep. Yeah, you have to because the ground is liquefying constantly. Right. And that's the thing with comedians is we have to connect the dots and the chaos we're all walking through in the language of laughs. And right now I'm I'm processing a lot of the trauma we went through in COVID. Sure. In in comedic terms. Right. Uh, I and then I'm able to also uh, tee off on issues that make me angry because um, anger fuels the funny to a certain degree. And um, I've got my mileage on on Trump, just as I got my mileage on my own prime minister's egregious failures, although right. they're totally different. But I mean, look, Canada led the world uh, in elder deaths during COVID. 81% of the deaths at the beginning of COVID happened in uh, private elder care facilities run by greedy, greedy Gordon Gecko. Uh, corporate profiteers mm. who hired devalued workers to care for devalued lives whose diaper hadn't been changed in a week. And these members of the greatest generation died of dehydration. And now that we've had an investigation into it, uh, the the government and the privateers have had their hands in the water faster than Pontius Pilate washing themselves of complicity. Yeah. And as I said, come on, man, you got to get your act together. In 20 years, the bulk of the baby boom are going to be roaming the home ourselves and Led Zeppelin onesies just to sing along away from taking a stairway to heaven. <laughs> so, but for me, you can talk about controversial issues as long as you land on the laugh. Right. And Look, uh, there's, uh, and comedy punches up. It doesn't punch down. Uh, I, I'm, I'm disappointed that Chappelle picked on transgendered people. And I know that the last people say, well, watch the entire, watch the entire uh, special. I watched the entire special, but um, the less enlightened in the world will take what they want from something right, right. and utilize it to how they see fit, right? Yeah. And you don't punch down to the disenfranchised and the marginalized. You punch up to the golden, to the potentate on his golden throne. We just had a guy acquitted in Quebec uh, named uh, Mike Ward by the Supreme Court of Canada who picked on a hydrocephalic kid and because uh, he had too much exposure in, uh, you know, in Quebec stand-up. In Quebec in Canada as a whole different angle on funny than the rest sure. of us do. Right. Uh, they exist in their own little bubble. And uh, I know that the Supreme Court voted in favor of freedom of speech, but once again, it can be construed as open season 
by less accomplished and less compassionate comedians and uh, on the disenfranchised and marginalized. And I think it's our job to move the world forward to a more enlightened place in history, to move to the right side of history, not perpetuate the status quo or just satisfy your own point of view. Right. Christ, Chappelle's worth half a billion dollars. At least. There's better targets to pick. Come on, man. I was going to ask you, though, uh, in Canada, can you do political humor up there as easily as you can in the U.S.? Yeah, well, you have to be an equal opportunity offender here. It's pretty hard just to pick one side because there's only 37 million of us. Right. And, I mean, come on, man. In America, 75 million, I still believe in the big lie. Right. Right? And and, uh, I just wonder, legally, is there an issue up there doing political humor? No. No, at okay. All. They'll Good. just go quiet on you because Canadians have a dysfunctional deference for authority. I mean, their <laughs> motto is peace, order, and good government, which translates to have fun, but keep the noise down or we'll call the cops. That's right. Where, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness translates to hookers and blow this way, bro. <laughs> it's a whole different wrinkle on the fun. And also, because you've been sired by, you know, two revolutions, I mean, the, well, the, the latest one, the Civil War, uh, the Revolutionary War, and of course the uh, uh, the endless uh, confrontations in the streets about issues. Uh, I think that there's more of a deference for the rebel soul, but ultimately it boils down to uh, population numbers. I mean, you've got 375 million people. You can have half the nation not liking your act, and you've still got seven times the population of Canada thinking you've got something, uh, uh, you know, smart to say. Right. And so it's just a matter of, of choice. But I, I pick on, you know, I pick on all parties and, uh, you have to. Sure. Yeah. You, know, you have to, because it's, uh, you just don't have the luxury to be, um, to be, uh, 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 uh nonpartisan. Yeah. I, I mean, you have to be nonpartisan. You don't have that luxury to be partisan. I was say Johnny Carson made it. By hitting both sides, you never really quite knew what his thoughts were politically, his personal thoughts, but he hit both sides equally. It's the best way to be. That's the way to do it. And, yeah. of course, I lean to the left. I mean, and you can tell that with my with my point of view. Right. Uh, but, uh, look, I mean, you know, the sheen's gone off the pumpkin for me and our prime minister. He's uh, yeah. silver spoon Davis groom dauphin. But then the guy on the right is just an evil Gerber face baby. And uh, with uh, far too uh, far too right uh, uh, affiliation. So if you can hit both of them equally, then you're going to be um, uh, you're going to have longevity. No question. Name of the book again is called All Over the Map: Rambles and Ruminations from the Canadian Road. And uh, Ron James has been our guest today. Ron, I wish we had more time. I know you're doing some gigs, so we'll let you go now. But hopefully, we can talk to you again down the road. And uh, the book available everywhere right now. Even in the States? Everywhere right now, yeah. It's available on Amazon. It's available on uh, uh, in Penguin Random House and also in Barnes & Noble across the States. And Great. All your independent bookstores. But your best bets probably give uh, Jeff Bezos a few more bucks because God knows the 280 He could use it for the rockets. Build <laughs> <laughs> the rocket. Yeah, you got to love that, hey? Well, I will let my mother know I talked to you. And uh, we have relatives in Newfoundland, cousins, so I'm sure they're going to be happy. They'll watch this. We know that. Always good to be talking to someone who's got Newfoundland blood, my son. That's it. Ron, great talking to you. Hopefully we can do it again. Thanks for being with us. You too, brother. All Bye the now. best, Doug. See you now.
I'm Stan Brock. 30 years ago, I formed Remote Area Medical to help people overseas. But then we found generations of families in America isolated by poverty from the health care they need. Together, we can take dental, vision, and medical help to a million adults and their kids right here at home in the United States of America.